Episode 5 of the Nothing But Nylon Podcast, the Nylon Calculus Podcast, and today we have two guests, uh, twofer. Uh, we have Nick Cristifo uh, from our first episode and Andrew Johnson, our second episode. So you two are the first uh, returning guests to the podcast. I guess whoever uh, ends up doing a better job of what we're going to be discussing today can, can claim the honors as the first repeat guest. Uh, that can be your prize. Oh, well, Nick had, Nick had the first uh, go round, so I think he's gonna. I think he gets the honor. He takes that, it. That's that's fair. That's fair. I wanted to make it a competition, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Andrew, Andrew's gonna win. You know, just like he's won the last two uh, APBR contests. So. Well, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, I think that's going to be the interesting thing that, that comes out of this. But uh, so just uh, we've kind of started before before we even introduce what we're talking about today. So today we're talking about uh, the two of you have done wind projections for the season. It's about that time of year. It's uh, mid-October. The season starts in uh, three weeks or so. And so Andrew, uh, as Nick mentioned, has been the, the reigning champion in uh, the APBR metrics uh, prediction contest, and Nick is trying to come for his crown. Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll see how that goes, but uh, yeah, I just wanted to, to sort of lead off the conversation by asking you for people that haven't, you know, read your post on the subject or listened to your other uh, podcast appearances, um, which, especially with regard to the posts, you should go and read them. They're very good. How did you guys come up with the, your 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 projections? Like, what was the process and sort of the methodology behind it? And I guess we'll start with Andrew, and, and then Nick will we'll go to you after that. Um, you know, I, I had sort of uh, when I started getting into analytics, I'd looked at what some other people had done, and you know, kind of followed along the the most common methodology and uh, the one that you know so far is produce the best results is really coming up with a way to rate how good the players are, you know, using one of the uh, infamous one number metrics, or, or in my case, uh, two of them and uh, blending those together and uh, how good the players are, and then trying to project how many minutes they're going to play. And out of that, you get an overall uh, strength of the team estimate. Um, and you combine that with their, who they're playing and, and for my case, I you know do a percentage of chance of them winning each game, and you add up those percentage chances, and you get uh, a win total. Um, it's not really anything groundbreaking. The sort of thing that I brought to it that was different was using my uh, player tracking plus minus, which I combined with uh, ridge uh, regressed um, adjusted plus minus, and and combine those two. And uh, that gives me a player metric, and then uh, kind of weight those in for the team. And Nick, how, how did your uh, your process go about? I know I know you initially tried to to do your own version of the what Andrew had done, but uh, your your post kind of went into the details on that. But uh, can you just describe what what you did? Yeah. So um, in terms of projecting wins, uh, it's very similar overall methodology as to what uh, Andrew just described. And I did, I did try to make a player value statistic that could compete with the likes of um, real plus minus and box plus minus and uh, Andrew's player tracking plus minus in terms of uh, predictive ability. But um, I found um, in out of sample testing that uh, I wasn't as successful as I'd hoped. Um, so I actually scrapped that. And, and as far as player value goes, uh, the, the number I'm using is, is literally just a, uh, a blend of RPM and, and BPM, uh, both very um, predictive out of sample and um, do well in terms of both, you know, predicting the next year's wins, but also predicting, you know, the next possession that's going to be played. So um, 
I found that using both was better than uh, using one or the other, um, uh, which is common uh, in the statistics world. Uh, you kind of um, get to the same answer, get to a better answer by using both. But um, but yeah, like Andrew, I just you know uh, I projected minutes for each player, um, assigned them their 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 player value, summed them up for each team, you know. Uh, took the took the difference between each team of each game and and used some other things like uh, the characteristics of each game like altitude and and the amount of rest each each team gets before the game and um, obviously it's a home versus away so there's a built-in home court advantage for the home team and and all that you get your probability um, used these two different models to assign probability took the average found that that was more predictive than um, any of the other blends um, or individual models that I tested for for that task, and and, and like Andrew just summed up the probabilities, um, and so that way you get uh, you know you get your minutes in there, you get your your player value in there, and you also get the you know unique aspect of each team's schedule um, as well. Yeah, so it's it's there's a, a lot involved. It sounds like going into that, Nick. When you when you talk about out of sample performance, uh, predicting out of sample performance better. For for maybe members of the audience that, that aren't necessarily as technical, can you just quickly explain what what predicting out of sample performance means, sort of in like layman's terms? Yeah, it's not really a difficult concept to grasp. Um, mod, like a lot of the concepts that go into sort of like machine level uh, modeling can be a lot more complex, but out of sample. Um, testing is just the idea is that you have a you have a data set that you train your model on, and your model's not really worth anything um, if it can't predict uh, on data it hasn't seen before. And so that's what we refer to as out of sample uh, testing. You know, we take if we have a uh, hundred rows of data, um, we would uh, you know take our model and train it on sixty rows, and then compare it and see how. Um, our model does compared to some standard or some other model on the other 40. Because if you use something like the correlation of your model prediction uh, to determine how, how, how well your model is doing, you're really just um, measuring how well your model fits the data and you might be getting into a problem of overfitting um, and really just trying to um, not so much predict future events, but just get as close as you can to the unique uh, values and the unique combinations of information in your data, which is not something you want to do. So in order to increase predictive ability, um, you choose the modeling and the, and the modeling approaches and the variables and all that other stuff that um, best gives you your, your best results uh, out of sample. So that would be the idea behind that. Yeah, it makes, it, it makes total sense. I just know it's that's sort of a, a term that it might not be common to to some of the people that are listening that that might not be you know as versed in the statistical concepts but are still interested so we're trying to keep everything at a level where anybody could be listening to this and and understand it so if something is kind of uh sounds strange i I think i I am going to to do a better job going forward of asking you guys (laughs) to explain those things So, so thank you for explaining that so I'll stay with you, Nick, just for one more question. Did you find it surprising that, that box plus minus and real plus minus as a blend was the best out-of-sample predictor, given that uh, BPM is entirely box score derived and RPM also has a pretty heavy box score influence? Um, no, I didn't. Um, you know, I've read a lot about about both of, of those statistics, and I've seen the results of you know people using them to uh, you know predict wins and you know predict possessions and uh, predict things out of sample. So I'm familiar with with how good they are. Um, you know, uh, BPM or box plus minus is is not an adjusted plus minus statistic, um, but it is still very good. Um, so um, RPM is an adjusted plus minus statistic that uh, we don't really know exactly like what goes into it like we do uh, for box plus minus, um, but we know it's an adjusted plus minus statistic that, that gets information from box score statistics and potentially stuff like height. Um, so we know, um, you know they both take a different approach to getting to the same answer, and they're both you know, well-made statistics by smart people um, that get to that answer. Um, so the combination of both, um, uh, you know, 
what you what you miss uh, in in one or the other, whether it's RPM or BPM, you usually it usually gets picked up in BPM. So if a guy produces uh, at the box score uh, really well, but for whatever reason his RPM stats aren't as shiny, uh, there is probably value there. Um, so BPM will pick that up hopefully, and and the combination will be more predictive. That was one of the things that I was interested in. I, I think. One thing that I was kind of thinking about as you were saying that is perhaps because box score t- statistics tend to be a little bit more stable than impact statistics. The fact that you have RPM, which is a box score blended with the adjusted plus minus plus BPM as part of the blend, uh, you're relying even more on things that are are a bit more stable uh, year over year than, say, maybe somebody's impact statistics. Like I know regularized adjusted plus minus tends to be a noisier year over year uh, by quite a bit versus um, players' uh, box score stats. Yeah, that's that's uh, and not to steal away attention away from Andrew, but that that last thing you said is is absolutely true. Um, so BPM year to year um, is much more stable uh, than RPM. Uh, that is not to say that it's better uh, because you might you may um, RPM is 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 better within the same year. Um, uh, because it might be, um, you know, actually ascribing, uh, actually describing what's going on the court more correctly. Um, but BPM from year to year is more stable because players, you know, box score performance tends to be more stable than, um, you know, the culmination of, of all their possessions, uh, given all the varying factors that go in. People yeah. do tend to get theirs from, from year to year in the NBA, so... Yeah, that makes sense. So uh, another thing I was curious about about this, and it was something that I had thought about doing because, you know, you guys both know, I don't know if the audience knows, but I used to do my own uh, projections, but they were pretty much RPM projections, very similar to what Kevin Pelton did for ESPN, right down even to the same formula that he used for for projecting minutes because I think, I believe he got that from another uh, APBR metrics uh, board person whose name is now escaping me. But in any event, the I used to do the same sorts of things, and this was something that I thought about doing for mine. So I wondered if either of you um, thought about doing adding additional sort of uh, play-by-play information into uh, your metrics for uh, basically uh, mimicking some of the stuff that Justin Willard uh, of Nylon Calculus did with his dredge metric. I think he includes in his uh, things like charges, personal fouls, and a few other things like goaltends. Uh, and I know that boosts his out-of-sample predictiveness for dredge over things like BPM. So I was just curious if you guys, either of you had, had looked at that. And I guess we'll start with Andrew since uh, we haven't talked to him in a little bit. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I actually, uh, player tracking plus minus, uh, does include, uh, uh, offensive fouls drawn, uh, which I, both Justin and I found to be, uh, a very good, pretty good indicator, a strong indicator and pretty independent from other variables, that, which is, you know, always something, uh, that's valuable. One of the things that happens when you start adding little different measures, um, and a lot of them are, are pretty well correlated together, so you're getting diminishing returns as you keep adding on uh, little different measures of, of player performance. And so that was kind of an interesting one in that it's not really very closely correlated to uh, steals or to rebounds. It's kind of its own thing a little bit as the ability you know, to draw offensive fouls. You know, that's guys like um, you know Marcus Smart and some other character, guys who are getting themselves in good position and are, you know, up close to uh, the offensive player and end up getting a lot of those. So, so that was an interesting one. And then um, I added shooting fouls, which is just, you know, the same as um, committing shooting fouls, which is just a little more granular than uh, fouls, which you get, you know, from the regular box score and it gives you a little bit, better information on, on defense. So those, those two uh, things I've, I've had in uh, player tracking plus minus for the last uh, couple of years, and it boosts it a little bit, but you know, that, that the thing where you get into, and I'm, and I'm sure uh, Justin found this and other, so, you know, when you keep adding uh, 
different elements, you, you start getting really diminishing returns. So you have to be careful about that and how their interactions go. Yeah, that makes sense. So, you know, that, that gets into the, what Nick was kind of talking about, I guess, with uh, the overfitting the model. It's a, it's a little different than, than overfitting and that yeah. just that it's, you know, some of these measures, um, you know, like, one of the things when you're looking at rim protraction, uh, which is something that's in player tracking plus mile minus is it's also very well correlated with defensive rebounds because it's the same players All right. largely who get defensive rebounds. And so you get some kind of funny interactions uh, in different versions uh, when you're doing it, the modeling where one of them boosts up or boosts down, depending on who is, uh, who it's seeing in the data and how that's correlating to uh their defensive yeah. uh, ramp them. So, but yeah, the, the ones that, that you mentioned, actually I, I do include in the, and those are, uh, are good ones. And like I said, the, the drawing offensive uh, fouls was interesting because it is pretty independent and that's kind of gold to, to find a new measure that isn't just kind of, that uh, is you're able to separate from, you know, all the other measures that you're already using. Right. That makes sense. Nick. Yeah, multicollinearity is a slightly different concept from overfitting. You just to to sum up briefly what Andrew said well is, you know, basically you have a bunch of different variables that are correlated, and you don't know, you know, which is actually predicting uh, defensive uh, ability. Is it is it this one or this one? I don't really know because it's because they're too correlated. So, um, so yeah, and one thing I just you know wanted to add is you know the offensive fouls drawn makes you know all the sense in the world in terms in terms of being uh, a valuable addition to um, the defensive side of player tracking tracking plus minus because you know that's one of the best uh, results that you can have for a defensive possession right like not only do you completely stop the possession and, and get the ball but you put a foul on on you on more more than likely than not a high usage player so um, yeah makes sense yes um to the the point about multicollinearity, do you guys, when you're selecting variables for your models, do you ever subjectively look at the things that are that have a high degree of uh, collinearity and say, this one makes more sense to me from a logical perspective as the thing that actually has the value? Or do you try to keep it pretty objective and not necessarily bring your own thoughts into it in terms of what like re defensive rebounding versus rim protection to me i would think rim protection is probably more the thing that you're actually trying to get at in terms of defensive impact but that could be a wrong assumption on my part but i i just wonder when you when you select out some of the variables that are highly correlated with other ones and you kind of take those out or if you do that how you, how you go about doing that um, I guess I'll, I'll jump in first. Um, yeah, there's, I try and keep the, the logic, <laughs> uh, you know, my own thumb on the scale a little bit to a minimum, but it's, I think inevitable just, you know, even in the things that you choose to, uh, look at or, or, or even begin to examine, you're always making, uh, judgment calls and that, you know, and not, especially when it was building, uh, uh, player tracking plus minus, you only had a couple years of data, so really you don't kind of taking the approach of just throwing everything into um, the pot and seeing what comes out didn't strike me as, as um, the best approach, you know, just pure pure data mining. So you have to apply a little bit of, you, I think you're inevitably going to apply a little bit of uh, theory to it, um, and especially when you have a limited uh, data set, that, that theory becomes um somewhat more valuable yeah that makes that makes total sense in terms of the the more data you have i guess the more you can let it speak for itself to some extent but right. you if you have limited information you have to bring more information to bear which is essentially your own experience uh and your own years of watching basketball to to kind of say okay logically what what makes the most sense here yeah, like usually I try to be as objective as possible, but, you know, I've seen, just as an example, I've seen like blocks correlate a lot with like personal fouls and in, in, in some data sets. And, and then 
if I have to choose between one, I, you know, in terms of predicting defensive ability, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take like blocks. You know, I don't think fouling is a is a good thing. So yeah, um, you know, I, sometimes the dis, that decision can be obvious. Yeah, I think one one thing that's interesting with block. Uh, this is kind of an aside, but with blocks and personal fouls particularly, is that yeah, they're they're heavily correlated. But I think if you look at blocks per personal foul, the, mm-hmm. the that actually kind of deals with some of those issues because you're still getting the personal foul being included, but it actually makes more logical sense because it, essentially it's like almost like a blocking efficiency, like how many blocks can you get before you get a foul on, on some level. I think that blocks uh, per personal foul I think is actually slightly – uh, better correlated with like defensive impact than just blocks on its own, for instance. Mm-hmm. But uh, so getting into some of the actual like teams that that you guys projected for the year, it, se- it seems like both of you were pretty, uh, at least relative to to Vegas, you guys were pretty high on Houston. So I've been on the idea that Houston is going to be probably be pretty middling uh, because of their defense. What do you? What did both of your projections kind of like about Houston uh, in particular? And, and uh, Andrew, we'll start with you. Okay. Um, you know, the with Houston, you have to start with uh, James Harden. You know, and he's a real difference maker. You know, having somebody who I think it came somewhere around a high plus three, three in the threes, you know, who's logging a lot of minutes. And in the last couple of years, they've actually, they've played him uh, quite a few minutes. So, so that uh, comes out in the projection that, that adds um, quite a few wins, even with his, you know, defensive challenges. And the other thing um, using a multi-year model, which uh, both the adjusted plus minus and the player tracking uh, plus minus is um, using multi-year weighted though uh, towards the more, more recent year a number of the players um the houston has or that they're retaining had down years last year so the model kind of thinks or averages out that they'll have something of a comeback and some of those the role players will probably be a little bit better than they were last year and uh and a little bit of know, that's enough to I was going to say a little bit of regression to the mean in in the in the sort of positive sense, right? A little regression to their that last year was maybe on the lower side of what their true talent uh, was, so so that kind of helps helps get them uh, back into you know I think I had them at forty eight wins, uh, which which is a good good season and it could it makes you nervous when uh, Daryl Morey. Uh, gave a retweet to a thing with a, about my win projection. So when the, when the GM of a team is retweeting your win projections, that's <laughs> that maybe you're, maybe you're a little bit too, a little bit high on them. Too so that, high made, on that, that one team. <laughs> so that, that one made me a little bit nervous when I saw that he did that. So, uh, but yeah, that's kind of what the way that the math of, of the model worked out, I guess on my side. And Nick, your your model was uh, or projections were a little bit closer to sort of what Vegas thought of, of Houston. You weren't quite as high on them, but uh, still still above sort of the the Vegas line on them. So, is it that their role players are better at defense than I'm than I'm giving them credit for when I when I think about it, or uh, what? Or is it mostly the things that Andrew said, or, or do you have a different take on on why they look a little bit better? So yeah, um, you know, obviously Andrew said. Uh, a few things that I totally agree with. Uh, James Harden, for one, um, and in particular with James Harden, um, going to the second, immediately going to the second thing Andrew said was, you know, James Harden didn't have as good a year uh, last year um, as he did two years ago um, from like an RPM and BPM perspective. And, you know, uh, since my uh, wind projections are very similarly structured, uh, he will get that bump um, comparative uh, to last year. And James Harden, you know, with, uh, with kind of uh, uh, a toned down roster from Houston this year, James Harden is going to get, um, you know, he's always been a, a high minutes guy, but he's going to get, I project him to be, uh, um, you know, really taking a lot of Houston's minutes. Um, so uh, that bump over last year for James Harden and, 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 and leading the team with minutes is, is, is a big part of, of the Rockets overall value. And, and, and other things um, that stand out to me is, 
uh, Clint Capella is going to play a lot more uh, this year. Um, so he actually had a good year by RPM standards, um, especially for a player so young. Um, so he gets a, you know, he gets that gets thrown into Houston's mix, um, as well as the fact, uh, you know, both his his decent player value and and his high minutes projected at least. Um, but also uh, he gets a little bit of an age bump on my end uh, too. Um, so he is uh, 21 going on 22, I think. Uh, so that's a that's a good age bump he's getting. Um, right. so, so I would point out that he was available at the 17th pick <laughs> in the 2014 draft. Yeah, I think me and Andrew were both uh, uh, high on Clint Capella that year, um, and yeah, obviously he felt the Rockets, right? Like, yeah, that would make three of us. I was a I was a big Capella head, mostly because of the things that Andrew had written about him on his blog at the time. He was uh, Andrew has very good European projections uh, and they really loved Clint, Clint Capella coming out of uh, Europe. And he has uh, so far been as productive as, as expected, I think. Well, yeah, he had actually a pretty rough uh, rookie season, which I believe was marred with some, some injuries, but I will say I I was not joining Bill Simmons and giving the fist pump uh, on that selection. So, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> when they got James Young and, and he fist pumped, yeah, that yes. that has that has not turned Under out. The table. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that has not turned out uh, turned out so well for for the sports guy, <laughs> or for any any Boston fans. But uh, their their future is still very bright. Uh, so so no uh, no tears for for the Celtics. Mm. One team, another team that who everyone seems to think has a, a very bright future and maybe immediately bright future uh, is the Minnesota Timberwolves. But both of your projection systems are, are actually kind of down on the Timberwolves, and I, I'm curious for, for the audience for you guys to ex, ex, sort of explain why that is because I know a lot of people have very high hopes for them this year and kind of expect them to be either a playoff team or a fringe playoff team. And if you, your projections are to be believed, that that is overly ambitious. So. Uh, We'll start with Nick this time. Uh, the first thing I can think of off the top of my head is the uh, Zach Levine getting a lot of minutes. Um, not a guy who's loved by uh, advanced stats uh, at all. Um, so uh, I'm projecting him to get just about 2,000 minutes this year, um, which is you know a decent amount. Um, and also, uh, you know, Chris Dunn, who actually will do pretty well. In turn, he's also going to get a lot of minutes, but um, and he'll do pretty well, definitely, uh, definitely by a rookie standard. But most rookies are bad, um, so uh, that's a pretty consistent rule that's been true um, for for a while. And and, and I don't think, um, in terms of like as RPM and BPM go, Andrew Wiggins uh, isn't exactly the the world beater that people think he is, uh, at least not yet. Um, he'll be getting the most minutes. Uh, at about uh, 2,500 um, is what I predict from him, which is a ton of minutes. Um, so I think if we see, you know, all of these guys are getting a nice age bump from me because they're 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 so young, um, but they're not exactly starting at like the best spot. Um, so you know, obviously Carl Anthony Towns is is really good, and I totally expect him to outperform his his age curve, um, but. But yeah, I mean, you know, looking at just the top couple guys at the at the roster, you have you have Andrew Wiggins, Carl Anthony Towns, uh, Gorgie Jang, uh, Ricky Rubio, uh, Zach Levine, you know, Chris Dunn, uh, the a rookie playing the projected by me at least to be playing the sixth most amount of minutes. Um, you know, obviously you got Ricky Rubio, who's a who's a stud and 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 cat, but but other than that, you got a lot of things weighing them down. Um, so it, you know maybe maybe I'm totally wrong, which is very often the case. But uh, there are, are there are a few things working against them, you know. Um, so yeah. So yeah, I would. Um, I think I, I agree with uh, everything uh, that Nick said on that. And I have a, a list of guys who I I was kind of looking at today, and they're kind of the I titled them. Why is he playing? Um, guys <laughs> and this is actually a, a kind of an issue for the model because uh last year one of the guys uh, even though i liked him um but he the model had him playing very poorly and a lot of minutes and that kind of there's a little bit of a contradiction there 
but sometimes it, it happens. But Gary Harris, who, who I personally like, but uh, the projection model last year, because of his, his uh, struggles, his rookie year, had him doing very poorly, but had him playing a lot of minutes. And so that ended up taking um, a lot of minutes away from, or a lot of uh, points sort of away from the Denver projection. And I ended up being low on that one. So that's always one that kind of makes me wonder, you know, I've got this guy playing 2000 minutes and have him as being below, uh, you know, a guy, a fringe player. Um, But, but definitely Levine is, is one that hurts. And I think when you talk about Tibbs, something that's not built into the model, he's, he's either going to have to figure out how to play defense uh, for them, or he probably won't actually get those minutes. Uh, it would be in a little different situation with the new coach um, because defense is really probably the, the biggest thing that um, that sticks out for him. But in, in addition to that, again, you have the um, the multi-year thing because you've heard a lot of people say, well, they won 29 games. We'll just start at that. But then a lot of their players improved more than their age curves would have projected uh, last year from the, well, I think there were 17 wins or something like that the year before. And uh, so when you include that other, and you take out the prior year, so I just ran that out of curiosity, and that bumped them to 34 wins if if the model didn't know uh, what they'd done in 2014. So really it's a combination, I think, of people kind of taking as a given what they did last year and, and you know maybe not looking at the longer track record and um, – yeah, having some of these poor players uh, projecting at, at big minutes. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. It's not like Tibbs has a lot of different places to go for some of those players. You know, he's kind of got who he's got. <clears throat> and one thing that, which which isn't in the model, but I think is a, a risk sort of outside is you know, Ricky Rubio could, could very well get traded this year. And, and the model, he's one of the best uh, you know, defensive uh, backcourt players, and and you're pretty good at o- overall. So, and then you're going to end up with both uh, Dunn and um, uh, the other uh, Le- guard who's Le- Levine. Uh, no, um, the the Minnesota kid. Um, oh yeah, uh, I can't believe I'm blanking on his name too. Um... He played at said, he played at Duke, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, do you guys uh, you guys mean Tyus Jones? Yes, yes. Tyus Jones. Yeah. Yeah. yeah of course. We'll we're both <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Three basketball heads. Dude, you threw coming. me when you said you, you threw me when you said uh, I was waiting. I thought you were talking about uh, Tyus Jones, but when you guys said Minnesota kid, I was like, well, he's someone from, from Minnesota, Minnesota who Ridge. played at Minnesota. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I'm remembering that. But yeah, I was I was I was like ready with Tyus. Uh, I thought you were gonna say Duke kid. He was like, yeah, Tyus Jones. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's right. So you know, so if if you see uh, Rubio get traded, then then you you know, and I think Tyus Jones has some interesting upside. He came out pretty young, but that with those uh, three of uh, rookie and Dunn, uh, young Tyus Jones and Zach Levine, and that would really would be a, a tough back backcourt. So yeah, I think um, I was just going to chime in to say I think if if there are any rumors that. Rubio may get traded. That would be a massive mistake for them if they actually have designs on making the playoffs. Because, as you mentioned, he's one of their best players. If not, the, well, he might still be their best player even ahead of Cat. But Cat will probably pass him this year. But he's super valuable for them, and they would be better if he was healthy more often. But unless they're getting a haul for him, the trading him would be a mistake. Yeah, like Ricky Rubio was the 17th best player in RPM by RPM standards last year. So, yeah. yeah, that's that's not something you just walk into, especially when you're you know projected to win anywhere between 30 and 40. Right. right. So. so one of the teams that it looks like you guys disagree the most on is the Thunder. So Nick, you have the Thunder projected for 52 wins, which uh, seems seems pretty high. Andrew, you have them projected for 43, which is much closer to the, the pinnacle line, the, the Vegas line of 44 and a half. I f- believe that the 
Nick, you mentioned in your post that the big difference there is that the different valuations that your blend had for Russell Westbrook relative to Kevin Durant versus player tracking plus minus. So I'm curious what what drives that big distinction. Is it that Russ is more of a, a box score stat stuffer than, and that's what really makes up your blend the most? And um, I, I guess I'll just get out of the way and and ask that question. Like, what do you guys think is driving that? And start with Andrew, I guess. Yeah, I I was sort of interested to see that from um, from from Nick's and. I have to admit, I haven't given given the OKC uh, projection, you know, too many uh, thoughts after it came out. It seemed, and, and maybe that's a mistake on my part, that seemed in line with what I where I thought it was going to go, and, and it seemed in line with the Vegas one. So I said, oh, jo- uh, "Job well done." <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, I, I did notice that in Nick's post that he's got a higher higher valuation for. Um, for Westbrook, who, who is still you know well valued in in my model, and I, you know I also wonder if maybe we have different uh, minutes projections uh, going forward. I'm thinking some it, of it might be minutes because that's an interesting one. You know, anytime you have uh, teams uh, where there are a lot of changes in roles, uh, those minutes get a little uh, more difficult to project. Last year, the one that that was sort of interesting was Portland with. Um, Aldridge leaving and Batum leaving and, you know, just a whole new cast of characters around uh, Lillard. And uh, it was really difficult to figure out. And I think probably the the team at the beginning of the year didn't really actually know who was going to be playing uh, besides uh, Lillard and and McCollum. So this is a case, it's less unstable with OKC, but there are, you know, with with the Baca also leaving in, in addition to Durant, you know, a lot of different minutes uh, to go around. But, you know, let, Nick's probably looked at this a little closer than I have. Um, I've looked at it. Uh, I wouldn't say I've looked at it too closely. I kind of just, you know, um, did did what you did. Okay, yeah, uh, close. I'll, I'll think about it when we get closer to the season. Uh, but, but yeah, so I, I think a lot of it is coming from Russ. Um, so, like, sixth best player by RPM standards last year, second best by BPM last year um and both of those standings are are higher than uh kevin durant and in in the case of bpm he separates himself from kevin durant by about three more points uh by by per hundred possessions which is which is huge um so some of that is coming from you know me using bpm and and and, and, as at least as part of my player value and, and andrew using uh something else um also uh you know i don't know what andrew's minutes are i i have uh 1600 for for Ennis Cantor, which seems low uh, to me. Um, and you know, Ennis Ennis Cantor is is not someone who's loved uh, by by RPM um, or or some of the some of these other regularized adjusted plus minus. Um, so as far as Oklahoma City's, um, if that uh, projection projected minutes is low for for Ennis Cantor, and just at the top of my head, it struck me that it might be. Um, as far as my projections go, Oklahoma City might be saving themselves some 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 net negative value. Um, but and, and and other things are I don't know how 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 well Serge Ibaka looks under under playing tracking plus minus. Um, I know Andrew's posted it. I, sh- I should look it up, but um, I don't think it's as high as maybe sort of the general consensus. Um, has has thought he he would be. Uh, and whereas I think Oladipo, um, you know, might be a little higher. Um, and, and fill more that 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 hole than people think. Um, so um, yeah, and, and Oladipo gets a gets a bump uh, from last year as well. All my guys get the age curve bump up or or, or lower. Um, so you know, could be a, a mix of many things. Uh, I'm not really quite sure what it is, but I would I would point to Russ first. Yeah, that makes sense to me that that it would be the difference would be primarily driven by Russ. I know like most of the impact stats that are box the box score versions of those impact per possession uh, per 100 possession stats really like Russ because he does everything <laughs> he gets rebounds he scores a lot he scores at high volume at decent efficiency he gets a lot of assists he he does basically everything and that you get in the box score and he gets a you know a fair number of steals because he, he gambles a lot and so 
is... number one fantasy player this year, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> him or him or James Harden in that D'Antoni offense is is probably should yeah. be your, your yeah James. James Harden is going to get some, you know, the Rockets are already playing fast and James Harden is going to get that nice pace adjust. <laughs> yeah. Uh, most likely at least. So, yeah, they're they're He's going to have the ball in his hands pretty much in the Steve Nash role and they're going to be playing fast. So, and, and in that spaced out D'Antoni system, I mean, they all, they already had a lot of, a lot of that. So maybe that, uh, not, not necessarily the D'Antoni like high pick and roll more just like the spacing out in the speed, but I just think that their offense should should improve, and especially now that he's got the some a little bit more floor spacing because he's actually got guys that can shoot instead of guys that just do shoot, <laughs> which is a big difference. Okay. Yeah, I think I think it's going to be either Russ or or Harden it should be your number one and number two in some order in your fantasy basketball drafts. But so one of the one of the other things that I was curious for you guys is subjectively, who do you think? feel the the worst or the or feel like the your model is most likely to be off on andrew you could start with that one and then we'll kick it over to nick uh, that's a that's a good question i have to uh, give that you know a, a couple moments thought um i'm not you know i had the the spurs at 58 wins and i, I don't remember what nick had but uh and even though that's down i'm not 60 Oh, yeah, Nick uh, not, okay, Nick. So Nick's yeah. higher, so maybe I feel a little bit better about that one. Um, uh, the uh, you know we've talked about Minnesota, but that's one that's the furthest away from uh, the pinnacle betting lines, and so it's also one that uh, you know people have taken a lot of interest because it was uh, so surprising. So so I've I've looked at that one uh, quite a bit, um, but you know I don't think there's any that really stood out and, and this year actually was a little bit more sort of chalked to my expectations and 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 I think I was a little bit closer you know once I uh, was done and the betting lines came out I was a little bit closer to the betting lines which I don't know if that's necessarily positive or negative but um so so probably fewer that I'm uh kind of looking at questioningly than, than there was last year. Last year, the the Celtics projection, which kind of anybody who was using an RPM or a adjusted plus minus base model had had pretty highly, but was you know something that uh, you know, a lot of the basketball writers and basketball Twitter people uh, were were surprised at, um, and and was certainly higher than the betting line was was one that was sticking out. But this year, I don't really feel uh, any of them particularly. Stuck, stuck on. Maybe the maybe uh, the Pistons also. I you know I kind of look at their team yeah. and I look at their scores and I think they should be higher than this, but the the math kind of uh, has worked out to have them as uh, just a forty one you know very run of the mill team. But I just looking at their roster, I I would have uh, thought that you know they'd be a little bit higher than that, but but it, it didn't work out that way. Yeah, I think Nick, you had the you mentioned the the Pistons being a, a team. Yeah, I did mention the Pistons. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that the reasons I the you know what's coming to my mind are the reasons I, m- I mentioned in the post. If if anyone has read it, what I said was uh, you know both Andre's development um, and uh, you know the influence. You know, I personally think the Pistons are well run. Uh, I'm a big fan of of, of Stan Van. And and a lot of the things that have come out of that organization uh, since he started, just you know, listening to you know to the kind of things he says and, and stuff like that. So, um, so you know, obviously coaching is not something I control for. Um, and you know, they're they're pretty young and, and centered around on, on, around Andre. And I don't I don't think they were the interesting thing about them uh, for a while. You know, it's it's funny for a while the Pistons were like really good at everything except shooting last year. <laughs> Um, so, you know, if, you know, they come out, uh, this season, if they come out and all of a sudden they can shoot, they could probably win a bunch of games. Uh, and both me and Andrew are, are under the line there. Um, other ones I, I, I would have said, uh, Milwaukee too, before, um, before the Chris Middleton injury. Um, but now it seems, but even with the injury, it seems like Giannis might take a step. Um, but, and like that player value stats are, are underestimating him in terms of his age curve. But, but, um, 
so yeah, I, I don't know. Andrew, did you want to say something real quick? Oh yeah, was it so you're the one that you're you put out there had uh, the Chris Middleton injury already. Yeah, it's okay. yeah, you're right. Yeah, so that I think that knocked off like five, four games for them, or maybe five. It had him playing a ton of minutes, and then you look at who who they're bringing in. At least now, you know who's taking those minutes. Um, yeah, uh, yours, it? yours, yours didn't, right? No, it did. It did. It did. I, oh, I, did. Oh, oh, I had okay. him. I had him originally. Yeah. I I put out a, a tweet that had them out. Then before I put the article out, his, on, his unfortunately his injury happened, and so I just adjusted his minutes, and and the wins got redistributed. And like I said, there was about four wins I think that that came off, and uh, you know. And it's not just that he's he's was still uh, projected by my system to be the, the their best player uh, with uh, Giannis at second, but um, the players that took his minutes were you know, some of the worst players. And that was a, a position that they're really thin at. So, um, you know that so that's kind of an interesting one where. Um, because I, I use a sort of a depth chart system to, to project minutes, and so you had to fill in somebody on on the wings, um, and their wings that they had aren't great. You know, they might be more creative with the lineups than than what we're we're thinking. Um, but that that was a big uh, that was a big so, part of their drop. It wasn't just they were losing Middleton, but they were replacing him with well below average uh, minutes, at least. Uh, the way I was projecting it, you know, maybe they'll be able to find a way out of that, though. So, do you project minutes one, one, one position at a time? Uh, no, actually, so, I do it. Uh, so, I do it um, three different, or actually four different ways. One without uh, any positions, uh-huh. and then one with their actual positions, and then one with uh, guards, forwards, and a center, and then one with point guards, wings, and bigs. So, and then sort of average those out. Yep. Yeah, point, yeah. Guard, point guards, wings, and bigs was, was one of the ways that I used to typically do it when I was setting up minutes to make the adjustments. Yeah, I don't take, I don't take position. I just predict based on a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, and it seems like it, it's work, it, work, it works decent, better than I thought it would. <laughs> um, in terms yeah, of uh, just projecting total minutes, it, it's yeah, it, whether it, how much it adds. I actually haven't really tracked uh, that well. In fact, I tweaked it a, a little bit uh, this year. There are only certain teams where it uh, where it does make a difference, and oh. the uh, it was kind of an interesting uh, experiment where when the Middleton one came out, because this is actually one where it ended up probably making a difference because of, uh, you know, who was available to fill in those, those slots. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I could see where that would be a competitive advantage. (laughs) Yeah. The um, projecting the minutes, I think it's uh, probably one of the more underrated difficult parts about (laughs) getting, getting this stuff right. And, I know, Andrew, you've done some uh, retrodictions in the past to see like how much extra value there is in, in knowing the minutes, and it, it turns out to not be that big of a difference, but uh, I know that that's always the thing that that I struggled the most with, I think, with putting that stuff together was, all right, how am I going to adjust these? And a lot of the times it would be, you'd eyeball it and then be like, yeah, good enough. <laughs> you know? Right. One last thing that I wanted to, to ask you guys before you go is sort of, do you have, you know, we'll see how your projections go this year. You guys have specific plans on things that you're looking to, to add or to do to improve things going forward, whether that's looking at team level effects or, or, or certain things to that, uh, you know, to that end. We'll start, I guess, with Nick this time. Yeah, I mean, there's, uh, I would say my first, uh, I guess it would be player value, just getting better and better each year at predicting uh, player value and, and also just learning more about fatigue and injury, um, maybe incorporating something like that um, into and uh, 
you know, anticipating, you know, there's a growing amount of, of, of do not plays and that'll probably get factored into minutes, but um, being able to know the difference between, you know, someone just not playing uh, because the coach set them or someone not playing because of a DNP uh, and, a, and like someone like LeBron just, just sitting out for rest um, could be a big deal. Um, yeah. And uh, there's other things too. Like, you know, I, one of the things that's included in my model is like, um, I, I adjust for the pace of both teams and how good each team is. That is to say that um, teams that are better um, give themselves a benefit by playing faster because uh, there's more possessions and there's more time for them to be good. Um, so I do actually adjust for that. And as we learn more about basketball, we can you know, learn to include more of those things. And I would just be on the lookout for including more of those things in future results. And when the season kicks off, we'll get a better idea. You know, the, you know, the, the preseason projections are never as good as the in-season projections. We start to learn how good the player is actually going to play in this new role in this new season and how much they're actually going to play. We could use like their minutes per game for the season rather than some projected minutes, which are obviously the minutes per game um, is, is going to be a lot closer um, to what they actually play the next game. Um, right. So, so Yeah. Andrew, uh, there are a couple things that and are sort of already on my to do list and didn't get to uh, to many of them this summer. But uh, sophomores are a little bit problematic. Um, you have an age curve like like Nick does, uh, but you're using the one year of data. And what yeah. I'd like to do is is incorporate another uh, prior. I've played around a little bit with. Uh, both draft position and uh, if I have um, pre-NBA uh, projections and incorporating that so that you're not just going off the one year with a little regression and uh, and an age curve. You know, if you have other information that you can kind of make use of. I, so I've done a little bit with that, but I, I'd like to do more because I, I realized at the end of last year that, that the sophomores were, were an area where uh, my player projections weren't very good, and then looking a little bit more at you know skills that are uh, complementary and supplement and uh, or substitutions, uh, so that you know if you have you're adding somebody whose primary skill is rebounds to a team that already has a lot of rebounders, you know that that you discount that, but those get difficult because uh, lineups are really you know much more fluid than what we sort of think of. Um, it, really, the Clippers, I think, last year were the only team that had a lineup that played over a thousand minutes uh, together. Most yeah. teams, you know, just ha- in terms of a five-man unit. So, so those get difficult to uh, to adjust for. But I do think that both, like in usage, uh, you know, that there's some substitution that goes on, and in uh, rebounds also, and then in complementary, you know, do they have enough shooting? on the court, which, um, you know, somebody, if, if there's a, not enough shooting and, and a shooter goes to that team, when he changes teams, he could you know, add more value than he, than he did, uh, at his, at his last stop. If, um, because that's a skill that they need. Yeah. One of the things that I, I was just thinking about as you guys were describing your, your potential things, and this, this might be too, too difficult to to attempt to do um in terms of like what the technology that you might need i don't really know but just in terms of thinking through the the issue is just if you were able to at a individual matchup level try to guess what the best lineup would be for each team versus another team based on skill sets and then you know model minutes down to the game level ahead of time that i think that would be interesting obviously then any injuries would have an even bigger effect on your misses i guess but i think that would be something that would be interesting is is seeing if you could use uh, sort of the some of the machine learning stuff to based on skill sets I've, project out like i've tried doing that first really? step for based on skill sets and it's very very yeah. messy uh, or or i'm just not talented <laughs> enough to find it <laughs> as a data scientist um probably the latter uh but um uh, but yeah so i've looked i don't know about that second part but i've looked into that in terms of 
optimal skill sets, I think was what you yeah, were trying well, to get Optimal at. skill sets relative to, to the t- like, so basic, yeah, the it's the almost team, like a game right? theory thing. So you'd have to like figure out what, what the two teams is almost like a game of rock, paper, scissors. Like, you know, what, what lineup are the two teams most likely to play based on the teams that they're playing against, you know? Oh, I see. Okay. Yep. So it's sort of different, but yeah, if there's any, if there's any added or it's kind of the same and sort of different, uh, if there's any added benefit to, you know, I think, whatever lineup controlling right. for skill. Yes. Right. Yeah. And I think he yeah. just made okay. it more complicated for you. Nick, so <laughs> I'll, I'll let you take that one. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not expecting, I'm not giving yeah. you guys homework. The, 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 sometimes I just throw out ideas that I wish that I could do because I, and then hope that maybe somebody will do them that, that has the skills because I don't necessarily have them at the moment. So, but yeah, that, that was uh, something that I, I was just noodling with as an idea. If one of you guys wants to take it, then you're more than welcome. If not, then anybody listening to this uh, can, can also try. <laughs> Uh, I wanted to say, Andrew brings up a good point with like the age curve thing. Um, there is definitely, at either end of the spectrum, there's uh, a survivor bias and whatever the opposite of survivor bias is for the beginning of an NBA player's career. So the age curves aren't really like good until we get to like age 22 or 23, and then like the players are in the league or they're not, for the most part. Right, yeah. And yeah, then they like, start... Yeah, so- Selection bias to, in the in the beginning, and then yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, because right. there's so few yeah. observations, I guess, at the the low end of the scale, right? Like most of the players that are in the league at 18 are, are probably going to progress at a different rate than than you know the average 18 year old that ends up in the league because those guys are mostly still in college, right. Yeah, that makes it, that makes a lot of sense in terms of trying to adjust that. And I guess Andrew, what you were describing is essentially giving more information to your your priors. I guess when you're when you're looking at how guys might progress or regress towards you know a sort of true talent level, right? Right, and it, it's a, it, particularly for the uh, the guys coming out of, out of their rookie years. You know, once you've been in the league, and I've I've done a couple other studies where. I've looked at the value of the um, college college information, and it does sort of uh, diminish. You know, after you've been in a few years, you have enough information about what they're like as an NBA player. But you know, coming out of that that rookie year, um, you know, that's not. You know, it's a good amount of information from from the rookie year, and that's still the most valuable thing: is how does he actually perform in the NBA. Uh, but you know, if you know where he was drafted, uh, you know, or how he played uh, in college or or in Europe, that's still valuable and additional information that um, you know probably w- would help. And so there were guys who, you know, like Gary Harris, I go back to, who did pretty well in my draft model, but had really struggled his rookie year. So uh, you know, going into his sophomore year, had him being worse than I think what he, when he ended up being by, by a good amount. And you know, if, you, if you bring in that other information that you know, he has had success and was drafted, um, you know, I think what middle of the yeah. first round that you yeah. know, expect him to go up a little bit more than, than what just the, the age curve and regression had, had uh, indicated. Yeah, I was going to say, if you, uh, if you wanted to, in, in the vein of more information is better, if you wanted to be real, in depth about fixing the the sophomore issue, you, you could go uh, do the things that Lane uh, Vashro used to do with projecting guys' performance in you know all these different tournaments that they play in, and and uh, you know all basically any time they're they're performing in any kind of context, you you add that in as part of their skill level, <laughs> and uh, you you probably mm-hmm. get a, a, a better idea of what their their talent level is overall but i think you include a lot of that stuff in your draft model i guess so it's already kind of priced in if you have that information yeah a lot a lot of it i don't have a lot of the uh the international the tournament information but you know a lot, a lot of the other other information i do so just incorporating more information uh, on those young guys is something that's going to help out I think that's all I have for questions, but uh, I want to thank you guys for, for coming on. I'm looking forward to the season and looking forward to, to seeing who's going to win out this year. <laughs> I, 
I think uh, I think Vegas well, you know got tired of of uh, seeing Andrew beat them every year, so they they just basically stole his projections preemptively. That's uh, that's why I think there's no distance, but we'll, we'll see. Ya. Well, I'm I'm further I'm further away from Vegas than Andrew is, which kind of you know when you're behind, you got to be exactly. more risky. <laughs> need the variance. Uh, so um, I'm I'm kind of yeah, I need that variance to to get lucky yeah. uh, well, and you know. uh, sneak in the front there. <laughs> yeah, one thing I would say on that is that you know. Winning last two years, there were very narrow wins, and uh, you know Nathan Walker was was I think really close uh, both years, and a few other guys at the APPR. So you know a couple of meaningless games in uh, January going the other way uh, probably could have uh, ended the dynasty before it started. So I have to kind of keep a little bit humble. A little bit, a little bit, a little bit. That's why they're the high, highly plausible win projections. Yes. I also stole the title. <laughs> so, oh, it's the hopefully yeah. possible. All right, guys. Well, like I said, thanks for coming on, and uh, we'll be sure to, to have you on again yeah. uh, later in the season uh, to discuss how things are going with respect to your projections or with respect to whatever else you might have uh, written about over the course of the season. And, uh, yeah, like I said, thanks. All right, thanks. Thanks for having us on.